0: Feels funny to say that at a church service.
1: Let's begin with song number three hundred ten. Three hundred ten, gentle Holy Spirit. 357. 357. I love thy kingdom, Lord. 357.
0: Service here, the ordination service this afternoon. It's um, just a special event in the life of our church, and um, yeah, just happy that you were able to be here and yeah, friends and family, supporters. Uh, yeah, welcome. <clears throat> I've said it before that I believe that ordinations are uh, can and should be seen as a healthy, normal thing for any church. Uh, when you look at the New Testament and the teaching of um, elders, pastors, bishops, deacons, whatever the role title is, um, it's seen, it's depicted in the Bible as something that, that's normal. It's, it's what healthy churches do, they appoint leaders. And I think today uh, should be seen as that. I think it um, should be seen as just a normal part of church life. And from my perspective, uh, I think that it's been a good week for our congregation and the past several months as we prepared for this ordination, I think that uh, it's been a good experience for our church to um, yeah to just kind of uh, deal with some of the specifics and details and all of that. And I believe this afternoon is is going to be a good service uh, this morning. we had a, a just a real good service here. Our guest speaker, Dave Byler, uh, preached on the uh, uh, leadership and how it comes from within the group and as a result of the group and that sort of thing. I just appreciated that so well. It was well, very well done. Just uh, a bit of rehearsal. So uh, we pastors have been discussing this ordination or this event for it seems like uh, maybe a couple of years already. And uh, for us pastors, it affected us differently and in different ways. Uh, I think our giftings and our um, experiences and just our personalities it um, we, we were able to discuss through this and and um, work on it and uh, come to a very good place I believe to uh, have this ordination so after uh, discussions with you all uh, I remember at a brothers meeting or a men's meeting we um, talked about this and we had feedback from you all by worksheets and that sort of thing some of the things that were important to you and um, So we made a proposal based on that in September of last year, and uh, several weeks later on October the 18th to be exact, we asked for your affirmation as a church, and uh, you gave that unanimously. And um, so in March and April, we kicked off this series or this event by having Sunday morning sermons on leadership and uh, things that responsibilities and qualifications and that sort of thing. So it's been a good time for us, and this past week, as I referenced, uh, it was a good time for our church, I believe, and for us pastors to just commit this to the Lord in prayer. And I know that so many of you have just been laboring in prayer, and I, I just wanna bless you and thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. This past Thursday, then, we had a service where you submitted nominations. You, as a church, uh, entered into this pro- process. And John, Nate, and Glenn were candidates, and, uh, um, after the nominations, there were two, Nate and Glenn, who received a minimum number, a benchmark of nominations that we had preset uh, for that. And immediately following the nominations, we narrowed it down to one uh, by use of the lot. And Glenn was, uh, it was uh, evident that Glenn was the one to be ordained to be the lead pastor at Weavertown at this time. My mind was drawn to Psalm 48. I just have uh, sort of been thinking about this in different ways this week and um, today. Um, it's a Psalm of, of praise to God. And I think it describes my prayer and I think the prayer of you all. Uh, Psalm 48 is rich in the sense that it um, brings glory to God. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. And it goes on through there and it, it draws from the experiences of the writer and says, God has been faithful, God has done this. And we've seen God at work. We've known this to be the case, and it's our experience today. And I, I just find that uh, so contemporary to where we are right here. And um, it ends with the great verse. It says, for this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. And that is my prayer as um, yeah, as a pastor and as a... Yeah, just... Um, or yeah, just another guy. I guess we, I just find this so comforting to know that God is with us. He's here. He is present. He is not uninvolved. He's not distant. He's with us. And we can claim that promise and move forward even unto death, it says. He will be our guide. I'm very encouraged by that. <clears throat> Norman Kaufman is going to come and share a uh, devotional. He's one of the pastors here. And after that, we will proceed with the ordination and the, the prayer over Glenn and Ruth. And uh, um, yeah, I'll guide you through that. And then after the ordination and that process, uh, Dave Byler will bring a sermon that will sort of close out this ordination process. So with that, I think I will lead in a prayer, and then we will have Norman come and share what is on his heart. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We just ask your guidance and protection and direction on us as a group. I pray for your continual leading uh, as we go from here. I especially ask, Lord, for your protection and blessing on Glenn and Ruth and their family and just on this service. I pray that you would move in our midst, that you would be... um, the word of God would be new and fresh, and we would leave here encouraged and motivated to serve you in a in a in a way that yeah that is uh, current to us. And I pray that you would just lead us as we go. Pray that you would be honored and glorified. Thank you for your great name. Thank you that you have been our guide here at Weavertown. You have been our guide as families and and uh, personally, individually, you have guided us. We thank you so much for that, and we pray that you would help us to. Uh, be faithful unto death. And we know that you will be, and I ask, Lord, for the courage and the motivation, the strength to do that um, in our own lives and as a church. I commit this service to you and I ask it in the name of Jesus, amen.
2: For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And I, as Dave did, welcome you to this special event, he called it, and normal service, special and normal and, and normal, and we could even call it historic, couldn't we? Uh, in the life of the, the Church of God, which is at Weavertown. I'm thinking of three verses or passages, um, as we think about ordination, this bishop ordination, that let's just uh, examine these three verses or pairs of verses just here in these few minutes as we think about where we are as a church as we rejoice in God bringing us to this place here today. first verse I'm thinking of is 1 Peter 2.25, which I just read. For ye are as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. The shepherd and bishop of your souls, which that verse tells us so clearly that Jesus is the bishop. He is ultimately our bishop. It's not John Yu or Dave Stolzfus or Glenn Miller. Jesus is the Christian's bishop. Jesus is the church's bishop. Uh, Three more times in the New Testament, that word is used, bishop. And in those three, each of those three, it's obviously referring to church leaders, church leadership leaders. The Holy Spirit meant it well to coin that word as referencing our leaders, church leaders. It's a little bit like the word Catholic, which to our ears is kind of a, uh, not such a good word, but Catholic is a very good word. It means, the Catholic Church, that word, the Catholic it means uh, universal, worldwide, and that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is. It's comprised of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, like the Bible says. Catholic is a good word. So is bishop. Um, we tend to shy away from that term just a little bit, but it does have a, a biblical good, right connotation. Vine's expository dictionary tells us that it carries the idea of overseer. A bishop is an overseer. He looks over. He examines. He inspects. He directs the work. He's kind of like a supervisor or manager. Now I'm thinking about what uh, dictionary.com says about that word overseer. In church history, earlier, um, besides bishop, the lead, the member of the group of bishops, the group of pastors, the leader of that was often called the presiding elder. And we have come to use bishop as the leader of the pastors. There's nothing anti-biblical or unbiblical about that necessarily. Uh, The Bible doesn't use the word bishop that way. When it uses the word bishop, it's talking about any of the pastors. But uh, the church has used that term bishop as the leader of the leaders for almost two millenniums now. And Howard Bean, in his uh, book, A Good Minister, talks about how early church leaders wrote about the, the threefold uh, leaders, bishops, ministers, and deacons. All of that to say that, Glenn, you'll never have to be embarrassed uh, by saying that you're a bishop. It's a good biblical word. God has blessed you with that vocation, um, Ephesians 4. And just because others might have had a wrong connotation about that, but never forget that you are an overseer over the real, you are an overseer under the real overseer. First Peter 2.25, Jesus ultimately is our bishop. He's the Shepherd and Bishop of our souls, thank God for Jesus. Secondly, the second verse or twin verses that I'm thinking about is in Joshua 1. And you might just want to turn there if you'd like. I would I would like that. Joshua 1, and we'd like to especially look at verses 5 and verse 8. Verse 5 and verse 8. Um, The other evening, Thursday evening, just before the lot was drawn. Dave read these verses, and I thought it was so appropriate. Joshua 1, especially looking at verse 5 and at verse 8. I think Harry Truman may have understood just a little bit how Joshua was feeling. Back in April of 1945, President Franklin Roosevelt died suddenly. Harry Truman had been vice president of the United States for 82 days, and he later said that when he heard the news that FDR had died, he, quote, it felt like, quote, the moon, the stars, and all the planets had fallen on me. Well, I think that Joshua, thousands of years ago, understood a little bit of that feeling. I think for two reasons, both Mr. Truman and Joshua, for two reasons especially. Number one, the, the job, the vocation, the position that they were called to was such a tremendously gigantic and incredibly hard job. Both Joshua and Harry Truman. And secondly, I think, is that they're predecessors in both cases had just been so incredibly um, fitted and good in in that job description. And maybe, Glenn, you're feeling just a little bit like Joshua and Harry Truman. And as I think about that, especially the second reason that uh, their predecessors had done so well, I take the opportunity to thank you, Dave, for a job well done the last 15 years. I am so appreciative of that, and I think you are too. I have been a fellow minister of Dave's for all 15 of those years, and I am thankful that for the leadership that you gave um, to our pastor team and to the church at large, and two ways especially that I'm thinking of, um, God has blessed Dave with good leadership skills and ability. And and Dave very faithfully um, discharged those and used and harnessed the abilities that God blessed him with. And maybe for propriety's sake here, as well as time's sake, I won't say too much about that, although I could say a lot. And you could too. Beyond that, the second reason... Uh, is simply that Dave was faithful in his calling. He was a man of integrity and gentleness and his love for the church, his humility. I have never known him to be anything but easy to be entreated. And I thank God and thank Dave. I wouldn't say that he uh, was flawless. In his superintending of the job that God had called him to for the last 15 years, not flawless, but certainly faithful, thank God. That brings us now, perhaps, to Joshua 1, verse 5. And for you, Glenn, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was... With Dave's also, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Do you see the three promises there that God blessed Joshua with? And by extension, um, that, those promises come down to Glenn Miller today. And I would say that to each one of us as Christians, to you and to me, there's three promises there. There shall not be any man be able to stand before you. As I was with Moses, number two, I'll be with you. I won't fail thee nor forsake thee. In that, Glenn and Ruth, and and all five of you children, in that you can rest and trust. In verse 8, going to verse 8, um, there's three precepts to obey. So that in verse 5, three premises. In verse 8, three precepts. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, number one. But number two, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Number three, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, more promises, shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So, if you, uh, we as God's people, that's for Glenn and Ruth and everyone here, it's The promises are for us to claim. They're for us to trust in. God is trustworthy, verse 5. The precepts in verse 8 are for us to obey. Reminds me of the old song that we often sing and that I love. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Moving on quickly to Exodus 17. So we talked a little bit about 1 Peter and we talked a little bit about Joshua 5 and 8. Look at the context in Genesis 17, 12, and I will only read verse 12. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed on his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Even the most able, even the most faithful overseers sometimes have overloads. Moses was that. He was a choice servant of God. Even he got to places, Exodus 17, 12, where it was just too much. Overload, and he couldn't, go on hardly anymore without some help. In this case, human help. Thank God for his help always and everywhere. Sometimes the Lord blesses us, blesses his people with help, oftentimes with other people. And who were the helpers? Well, one was Aaron. And you might know about Aaron, the high priest of Israel brother of Moses, kind of an assistant leader to Moses. The other one was her, which we don't know much about. So Aaron was a prominent leader, a prominent man in the congregation. We could call him an ordained man just for our purposes here today, couldn't we? Her, then, we know precious little. There's hardly anything said in the Bible except this incident here in Exodus 17. And we could call him a layman, someone that's unrecognized, often overlooked. Which are you? It's really unimportant which you are. It's really unimportant which I am. What is kind of important before the Lord and before God's leaders is that we're one or the other, isn't it? Uh, we could be an ordained man who's supporting our bishop, or we could be a lay person, a lay man or a lay woman supporting our leaders. Oh, that that would be the case for all of us. What really counts is that we help hold up Glenn's and Ruth's hands at times when they need it, which might be pretty often. And what's really important is that we hold up other people's hands uh, when they need it, which could happen just pretty often in our church and in our community. I heard a lot about that this morning. Uh, I just want to commit myself here, as best as I can, um, to support you, Glenn, uh, in your role that God has Called you to and blessed you with as an Aaron for a couple of years here. As, as an ordained person, uh, I, I want to support and help you in that as best as I can. And then when the time comes in just a few years when uh, my pathan will be passed to another, should the Lord tarry and we live, to another person in our congregation, I'd like to change sides and, but hold up the other hand as a her. May that be the case, whether I'm an Aaron or a her, whether you're an Aaron and a her, a him or a her, that we together hold up the hands of our leaders and of each other until he comes.
0: All right, well, we will proceed then with the... uh a formal part of the ordination here. And uh, Dave Byler and Norman will join me in uh, just praying over Glenn and Ruth and their family. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's what's next here, and that's what we'll proceed with doing. So uh, if you would join me, you three brothers, uh, we'll have Glenn and Ruth stand, first of all. And uh, a couple of commitment questions, and then we'll go to the prayer. <clears throat> well, Glenn, you have been called to the office of, of bishop to serve in our, the Lord and our church in this way. And uh, question number one, are you willing to accept the bishop charge, and by the grace of God and the aid of the Holy Spirit, give yourself to the work of the church? Yes. Do you promise herewith to give heed to all the doctrine of the Word of God, to accept it as the rule and guide of your life, to preach and teach it in its entirety and purity, and to um, abide in it with unchanging fidelity? Yes. Are you willing to lead out and shepherd the Weavertown congregation in accordance with the instruction and teaching of the Word of God, to seek to work with your fellow ministers and the council of the church, and in all things show yourself an approved workman in the vineyard of the Lord? Glenn the charge you're given here on this seventh day of March 2023 is given on the premise of your confession commitment and promises before God and these witnesses to the foregoing questions your first responsibility will be to the, to conduct the bishop duties of the Weavertown Church and then to the community and beyond wherever the church by the leading of the Lord may send you. All right, I will have Glenn and Ruth kneel, and the rest of the congregation, or you as a congregation can stand. Glenn, I herewith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Church ordain you to the office of Bishop. It will be your duty to conduct to continue to preach the word of God with all diligence, to promote and defend the pure doctrine of salvation, to faithfully oversee and direct the matters of the congregation under your charge, to be a pastor to other pastors of the flock, to see that the ordinances of the church are rightly performed by you and those who minister under your direction, to admonish and instruct and receive into the church by water baptism those who repent and confess faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, to comfort the sick and bereaved, and counsel the troubled, to discipline those who persist in transgression, and to receive them again after repentance, to proclaim the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and commemorating it by the administering of the emblems and the washing of the saints' feet, to officiate marriage ceremonies for the believers in Jesus Christ, and to ordain pastors and bishops where they are needed. Therefore, give heed unto yourself. Do not be self-willed or soon angry. Be sober, impartial, holy, and temperate. Hold fast the doctrine once delivered to the saints. Be a faithful shepherd of the flock of God, so that you may be received by the good shepherd of the flock with well done, good and faithful servant. To this end, may the Almighty God, who has called you to this high and holy calling, bless you and anoint you with his Spirit and fill you with love and wisdom, and use you mightily in the building of his kingdom through Jesus Christ. Amen. And Norman, you may lead us in a prayer. Go ahead.
2: Our Heavenly Father, as you see us here, gathered together for the bishop ordination today, I pray your blessing and peace upon everyone here, and especially Glenn and Ruth and their family, their five children. I'm especially thinking of Ruth and I pray that your hand of grace and strength and wisdom could be upon her. I pray that she could continue to be as the Ruth of old, a virtuous woman that everyone can see. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the heart of her Boaz, the heart of Glenn could safely trust in her and that she could be a true Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, because of you, because of Christ Jesus. And when issues come along and concerns and, and misunderstandings and um, when it's hard to know just how to do, I pray for wisdom and direction for them together as a couple. Thank you that you brought them together <laughs> and for all the years that you've blessed their marriage with. And I think of their family each of their children, all five of them, Heavenly Father, for Diana and Irwin and Katrina and Elena and Damon. I pray that this uh, their family life together could be enhanced you know, with the new vocation that their dad has and that they could be a support and a help in so many ways all for your honor and glory. We commit them especially to you and pray in Jesus name.
3: Our Father in heaven, we pray for the Weavertown congregation here the church whom these brothers will be serving and especially brother Glenn in his new role i pray that you would joyful that you would help them to joyfully receive him help them to adjust well to the new pattern of leadership perhaps that may we recognize that no two leaders operate exactly the same but we thank you, Lord, that you're the God of all gods, you're a king of kings, you're the Lord of the church. And I pray for the congregation here that you would receive him gladly, support him, and encourage him that the work of the church here at Weavertown would continue to grow, would continue to enlarge into other parts of the world. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you for their gift. May you continue to surround them with your peace and your grace. In Jesus' name. Father, we we'll
0: just uh, pray your spirit of wisdom and power to rest on Glenn and Ruth and their family. And especially Glenn, I just uh, thank you for his faithfulness and, and his um, inspiring um, personality that you blessed him with. I pray that he would use that in ways to 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 lead well and to um, administer the duties of this church and beyond where you lead him. And I just ask, Father, that you would use him in ways that are above and beyond anything that we can um, ask or think uh, according to the power that's at work in him, like Ephesians says. And I pray, Father, that you would receive the glory and praise not only from his life but from our lives as collectively as a congregation. I pray that you would give us this. A spirit of unity, and that there would be um, strength and power that would emanate from our lives as we interact with people in the community and our neighbors and friends that we have. I just pray that you would, um, yeah, just superintend in all of that. We thank you that you have led us and that you have continued, that you guided us, and we know that you will continue to do so. We pray your blessing on Glenn and ask that you would just um, give him the strength that he needs and the power that comes from you. to to lead and conduct the, um, uh, the role that you've called him to at this time. We just again thank you and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may stand up.
3: God bless
1: you. seated.
0: As I expressed at the beginning of the service here, these uh, weeks, and especially the last several days, I think in many ways have been a blessing for, for us, and um, it's clear to me that our church is particularly blessed with multiple men and women who are charactered and who can be trusted and respected and, and who have leadership giftings and skills, and that, that is such a blessing. It's such a gift to our congregation. That's really, really a blessing. I want to especially thank Nate and John and Glenn for your willingness to um, yeah, have this particular spotlight on you these past weeks, as you've, uh, and especially the last um, week, a uh, couple of days leading up to Thursday, where yeah, you, I think you felt uh, the spotlight was kind of on you, and it was. I want to thank you for your willingness to serve the church and, and our pastor team in that way. I also thank Norman Kaufman and Joseph Peachy. Um, every pastor team needs men like these. They're just steady people that can be leaned on and uh, they work so hard at what they do. And I just I just wanna thank you and, and just bless you in the, in the role that, that you are in. And I wanna thank all of you as a congregation for your prayer and support and how you've participated in this process. It's just been so well done. And uh, I think what God needs and what God wants for us as a church, for you as a church, is to continue doing what you've been doing, and just supporting, and praying, and, and working hard at what you're doing. Uh, it's uh, In many ways, it's just hard for me to completely describe. Um, yeah, it's just been humbling, and uh, uh, maybe especially in times like this, during ordination times, it's just, it's very humbling to be the, the spokesman, or the chiefie, and and yeah, I just, I just find that really humbling, and uh, I just look forward to, like I said, transitioning um, my responsibilities as a lead role to, to Glenn. My, my role going forward is to be a team player, to assist where needed, and to support Glenn and the other pastors. <clears throat> I know that you know this, and uh, but I'm going to remind you anywhere, there's going to be changes. Uh, Glenn is going to do things differently than what I've done. And um, what John Yu did before me, and that's just healthy. that's just normal. That's the way it should be and the way it will be. Um, yeah, I'm just completely confident in you as a church, that as we transition and go through this time, that you're going to be supportive of Glenn, and that you're going to receive Glenn as a gift to God for, from God to our church for this time. And Glenn, finally, I just want to say you are very appreciated and valued and respected by me personally, and our family, and 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 in our church. And I want to encourage you to just keep doing what you've been doing, and loving on people, and and God needs that, and our church needs that. And while it is true that there are there's going to be newness and maybe a bit of a learning curve uh, to specific things, I, I just also know that it is completely true that you need to continue being the person that you've been in the past and uh, I just want to stand behind you and support you and help you where I can and uh, I just want to say God bless you and he has. I think without anything further now, we will uh, have Dave Byler come and uh, share what he's prepared. And Dave, I just give you the blessing to to, uh, preach and share what God has laid on your heart. And then uh, after that, we'll have a few small things and close the service.
3: Well, it's certainly been inspiring to be here, to witness this and encouraging to see that the church moves forward. I've been richly blessed by Norman's opening as well, the thought of of Aaron and hers. Um, I'd just like to encourage you as a congregation here to be sensitive to the needs among you, and I talked to you some about that this morning. But I reflect to... Something that happened to me some time ago. I I don't know what my what I looked like or what I was doing or what, uh, but there was a person in our congregation that sensed that that I must have been struggling, and uh, I got a note in the note in the mailbox. Just a word of encouragement to press on, press forward. I'd just like to encourage you as a congregation, if you sense that in Brother Glenn or Ruth or the family, uh, this is a great opportunity for you to come up behind them and be an Aaron or her, holding up those hands. Those are tremendously helpful experiences in just reinforcing um, the call that God has given us. To Brother Glenn and Ruth, a couple of verses that I often think about in light of your responsibility and where we need to find ourselves. Psalms 91, verse 1, are especially precious to me, and I'd like to pass it on to you as well. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. And my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and thy buckler. This was especially, um, I'll just give this little illustration. Some time ago uh, in our small group's Bible study, the family that was hosting it uh, had some chickens outside. And um, we went out. We're just kind of walking around a little McDonald farm there and just kind of enjoying um, some of the things. And they had a, a hen there that had chicks under her wings. And they were, she was very, very protective. And, and I don't know, I decided uh, I'm going to tease this hen a little bit and I kind of took my foot a little bit. I wasn't real kind. I mean, I was tried, tried, to be, tried to be nice to it, but I wanted to see what she does. And um, I kind of just gently tapped a little bit. And, and uh, as I did that, her feathers just tightened in real tight over the brood underneath. And I, I, could, not, I could not convince that hen that it's necessary for her to leave. Um, I teased it some. But when I did that, I got a picture of what I think these verses are talking about. Where God, where the enemy comes in, and the enemy tries to protrude in and find its way into that nest, into that secret place. But as the enemy does that, I get a picture of God just pulling together those feathers and giving protection. I just want to encourage you. To stay within that protection of God. Don't step outside of that protection. And God will bless you. God will be with you. Moving on to the sermon for this evening, for this afternoon. Brother Dave did not give me a specific title. He said I was supposed to just speak what God lays on my heart. Last Sunday at home, I preached a sermon on. Building a culture of commitment for the church. I remember well on our way home from the service, uh, Rose said something to me that maybe that could be a good sermon to preach at Weaver Town. And just bringing this whole thing together, I know you had sermons to the pastors, you had sermons to, I preached this morning some to the congregation, some of your responsibilities but in all of it together, um, building a culture that creates commitments. Commitment to wherever you are in life. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a lay person, whether you're a young person, whether you're children. It's extremely important that we can lay the groundwork of a healthy culture, a healthy church life experience, an experience of commitment. We mentioned already a little bit about with the transition of leadership role from Dave to Glenn, that there's probably going to be some changes and some differences, some differences of the way Glenn will administer. You as a congregation have a responsibility in And just being committed to embracing that, I think, can be very healthy and can be very helpful. This sermon this, this afternoon is intended to inspire, encourage, and exhort the Weaver Town Church and all that are present here today of commitment to the work of Christ's kingdom. I'm speaking to all of us, to pastors, to the congregation, to the families, to the youth, and to the children I believe God largely works through the church to advance his kingdom. We are called to building a culture of commitment to this great work. God deeply loves and cares about the church. What is culture? I discovered there's a variety of definitions that we could look at, but I chose one. Culture can be defined as all the ways of life, including arts, beliefs, Institutions of a population that are passed down from generation to generation. Culture has been called the way of life for an entire society. As such, it includes codes of manners, dress, language, religion, and rituals. Your church here at Weavertown has a culture. You have certain ways of doing things and practices and values that you endeavor to hold to. Our Church of Shekinah has its own culture, perhaps. And some of those things may be somewhat different than your culture here at Weavertown. We have, in our Church of Shekinah, we have a pretty large variety of background of people. And it, it's challenging sometimes to work through the different cultural uh, changes differences. But, you know, when we are committed together, it can be a tremendous blessing and encouragement. What is commitment? The state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity to be loyal to or something or someone. Commitment is a pledge to give your time and energy to something or someone you believe in. Practicing commitment is not always easy and requires incredible mental resilience to ma- maintain, particularly in the face of adversity. But we all have the opportunity to live this core value every day. One of the parts of this is particularly in the face of adversity. We tend to sometimes, when we're faced with obstacles or adversity or personality difficulties. Sometimes it's easy for us to just exit and walk away from it. But May I exhort you here today that these can be healthy experiences if we're committed to working together and to striving together in the face of adversity. Some commitments are large. Like marriage, for instance. Marriage is a commitment for life until death separates. Some commitments are large. If you're a member here at Weavertown, you probably made a commitment to supporting this church in belief and practice. These commitments are not to be taken lightly. God hears these commitments, and it's important for you. I believe that you stay true to those commitments when you take a job, you're making a commitment to show up and do the job well. Commitment is what keeps you going in the face of adversity and challenges. The Western culture of our world is removing itself from a deep level of commitment. It is in the, work, is it in the workplace, in marriages, in church, and in society. We are heavily influenced, I think, by wealth, independence, therefore com- producing a non-committed life, self-indulgence, people, and a lack of commitments. I'd like to give a little illustration of this. Recently I read a news article that was saying how that many American employers are frustrated and despaired with a younger generation of people who lack commitment to their employment. They want to determine when And how they do work, they want to do things the way they want to do it, work their hours. And also in this same article, it mentioned that this same generation of people are easily offended and hurt and have very high expectations. We are living in a society that focuses on rejection and failure. And that focus paralyzes us from achieving our full potential. We live in a generation that focuses heavily on hurts and pain inflicted by others and continually to nurse and continually nurse and wallow around it. Friends, there is a better way. There is a better way by the power of Jesus Christ. Life in our culture and modern era has conditioned us to desire a life of ease of quick gratification, of rewards with minimal effort. It's easy to give up on something that requires extra effort, sacrifice of time, and sharing of wealth. The church of Jesus Christ needs to build a culture that does not follow the trends of society and culture around us. We have an enemy of our soul, enemy of the church, that wants to impact us with society around us. Let's be aware. Let's guard against those things. What happens to a social society or culture that refuses to be committed? You get a culture that looks perverted, like the one described in Judges chapter 17 and Judges 21, where the Bible says that every man did what? That which was right in his own eyes and it brought confusion groups of people elected their own leaders did their own thing they were steeped in idolatry and various ways that were displeasing to god it don't work and it's not healthy friends tonight there is a better friends this afternoon there's a better way when we refuse to commit we miss out on one of the greatest joys of life commitment brings fulfillment, happiness, and peace. It's true in our marriages. It's true within our church. It's true in our personal lives. I remember well the day that I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus where I committed my life to Christ. The joy that I felt within my heart. But I needed to commit myself to Jesus Christ. That was not the end of the story. There was a lot of times I had to recommit and commit again and again. And again, that's life. I'd just like to remind us this, this, this afternoon that as children of God, as a church, let's build a culture that brings commitments for all of us. Making commitments is key to the flourishing of our faith and the blessing and growth of the church. From Genesis 1 to Revelations 22, the Scripture describes our God as one who makes and keeps commitments. God declares promises and then fulfills them. The value of commitment is illustrated in Scripture time and time again. God is committed to His people. Jesus was committed to His ministry. Jesus did not take His own way when He was there at the garden and and praying and asking God to remove this cup from him. I can just see Jesus poured out, kneeling down and asking God if there's any way that he could escape this. But then he said, Not my will, but thine be done. Commitment. Jesus was committed to the will of the Father. God's faithfulness holds the universe in place, gives us a new identity, shapes us into the body of Christ, invites us into his work of reconciling all things to himself. We are living out commitments of some kind almost every day of our life. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Our foundation of commitments is Jesus Jesus, Father, leads us and guides us by our commitments within families, within the church, within the community. I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 12 for just a few thoughts. This whole idea of commitment in presenting our bodies. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I'd like to read verse 1. Then I'd like to go through and pick out a few things out of this chapter. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole chapter, but I'll be picking through a few things throughout this chapter. But I'd like to read verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I'd like to give a little illustration. A chicken and a pig lived on a farm. This whole idea of giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. The farmer was very good to them. They both wanted to do something good for him. One day, the chicken approached the pig and said, I have a great idea for something we can do for the farmer. Would you like to help? The pig, quite intrigued by this, said, Of course, what is it that you propose? The chicken knew how much the farmer enjoyed a good, healthy breakfast. He also knew how little time the farmer had to make a good breakfast. I think the farmer would be happy if we made him breakfast. The pig thought about this. While not as close to the farmer, he too knew of the father's love for a good breakfast. I'd be happy to help you make breakfast for the farmer. What do you suggest? We make. The chicken, understanding they had little else to offer, suggested, I could provide some eggs. The pig knew the farmer might want more. That's a fine start. What else should we make? The chicken looked around and scratched his head and said, ham. The farmer loves ham and eggs. The pig very mindful of what is this implied, said, that's fine. But while you're making a contribution, I'm making a real commitment. I'm giving my life to serve my master. The point I'd like to make with this illustration, I think sometimes we can easily find ourselves a little like The chicken. We are willing to and happy to contribute to a cause as long as it doesn't require too much of us. The the chicken could provide eggs, but this really did not disrupt his normal routine in life. All he was doing is giving a little bit of what came out of his life. The pig, however, was going way beyond contributing he was willing to give his life for his master. What does Jesus call us to? There's a verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Romans chapter 1 here calls us to be a living sacrifice, giving our bodies, flesh, skin, hands, feet, head, as a living sacrifice, commitment. This chapter brings out a few things that I like to look at in relation to commitment. Verse 4 through 8. I'm not going to take the time to read it. If you have your Bibles open, you can can take a look at it. Verse 4 through 8. Be committed to serving together as a body. With all the different roles and structure of the body, it brings health and life. Be committed to love, to be kind. Love people well. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Taking out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Loving people well is the ultimate key to creating a culture of commitment. What did Jesus tell us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Friends, God is really, really cares about how we commit to each other, and especially in his church. Verse 13 Engage in the welfare of others. I think I'll read that. Distributing to the necessity of saints, giving to hospitality. Engage to the welfare of others. This will cure the you owe me mentality. Sometimes people in the church complain about things that are happening in church and they feel like the church owes them something. Maybe they have not been treated the way that they thought they should be treated. and, And so they kind of have this you owe me mentality. One of the best cures, I think, for that is to engage in the welfare of others. When church members have opportunities to use their skills and abilities to serve in a practical way, giving of time, distributing resources, visitation, welcoming each other in our homes, you will feel a sense of community, even essential to the operations and the service of the community. Responsibility in these things is important and provides a sense of purpose. People who are committed do this very best, even outside of their comfort zones. During, doing things out of your comfort zones is good. Sometimes we hesitate to do something because we really, really don't like to do it. It's beyond our comfort zones. But I'd like to encourage us to probably... One of the best times in your life is when you're willing to step out and go beyond. No, don't try to do it by yourself. Don't try to do it on your own. But ask God to help you. God will be with you. God will give you the strength. God will give you the courage. God will bless you. Rejoice and weep together. Bear each other's burdens. When one hurts, we all hurt. In the physical body, when I cut my finger... My whole body, my hand is going to go to that finger and try to do with it what it can to restore to health. When one hurts, we all hurt. When we rejoice, when there's something to rejoice about, we rejoice together. There's a lot of good things to rejoice about together as a church. Do it together. Verse 16 and 17, Be committed to work through difficulties. Building a community means meeting people where they're at. Be careful not to judge people from your perspective without being willing and committed to do the hard work of walking alongside with them, learning and practicing the saying, don't judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. Its purpose is to remind us that we can't know what it's like to live in someone else's reality until we walk beside them. Sometimes things happen in church and, and we, we kind of get a bird's eye view of what happens. And, and we tend to right away form our own opinions of a person or an individual or a group. But I think many, many times we, we do ourselves a huge favor if we're willing to do the hard work of going alongside of that person and talking about it talking about what's going on talking about what's troubling many many times this will be an avenue to cure misunderstandings and failures listen carefully don't be conceited in your own thoughts let's be careful not to draw conclusions based on what we perceive what we perceive we see without being willing to do the hard work of reaching out Being committed to the work of God's kingdom and his church. Verse 18 Be committed to live peaceably. I spoke to you a little bit about that this morning. Do all you can to making peace in a time of conflict. Matthew 5, verse 9 Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called the children of God. I find that a blessing. Verse 19 through 21, finally, when you have committed to do everything you know to do, but the relationship still remains strained or broken, but from your end of it, you felt like you have done everything you could to try to restore to the relationship, leave the rewarding up to God. Don't be that person that's going to wish evil or to wish judgment or to wish bad things on someone else. And in that kind of a situation, when that person ends up having a need or, or, or is in need of, as it talks about here, um, if he becomes thirsty, if he's hungry, be the first person to step into their life and give them, feed them, give them drink, minister to them. And he says here, Thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Commitment, committed to each other in the fear of God. Brothers and sisters this afternoon, may I submit to you that the only way we can reach that level of commitment is by having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves. We cannot experience that agape love within our hearts to be able to be committed to these levels without having the experience with Christ personally in our hearts building a culture of commitment to the church. The Apostle Paul compared the church to a body with Jesus as the head. He said, For a body to work, every member is important and must do its part. Participating in church and offering your time and talents will improve and strengthen both you and the people around you. Building a culture of commitment requires commitment and effort from all generations. Committed pastors Committed grandparents, influencing those precious grandchildren. Committed fathers and mothers, leading and influencing your families to loyalty. Committed young people to serve in many various ways with all your energy and vision. Building a culture commitment means making church life important. Faithful attendance, enthusiasm, being available when needs arise, being loyal to accept when decisions are made that go against our personal preferences, being committed. As I was studying, it, I was reminded, a thought came to me about something that happened, I think, here in the history of Weavertown Church. And I didn't, I didn't look the story up, so I'm just going to give it as it comes to my mind and probably some of you that could tell the story a whole lot better, I'm sure, than what I can. But as I remember the story, you were in the process here of building an addition, I think, out the frontier some years ago. And there was a big tree out front here, is that correct, that needed to be cut down to accommodate that? I think it's somewhere written in the history books. And there was an older man, as I remember the story, that... that, uh, thought this tree held some sentimental value and was somewhat opposed to that taking place. But the church decided to move forward with that. As I remember the story correctly, and some of you older ones, if I'm missing this, but I remember the story correctly. Guess who was one of the first people to show up with a chainsaw when they were cutting up the tree? Was that brother commitment? That account spoke this, spoke of this man's commitment to church life, and these are the kind of things that will impact the culture of your church. Being committed to that level, there has never been a perfect church. The pastors, the people, the leadership are flawed and human. The only perfect thing about church is God the God we worship. There are many things about the traditional structure of church programs and services that I think can at times be altered or changed if it is scriptural and God-honoring. But let's be careful not to continually challenge and throw out the valuable things about our culture and structure. It is not likely that any church or leader or group of people will fully meet all your expectations Many people in our culture seem to think that jumping ship is the answer. I want to encourage us, before we take that course, to carefully evaluate our motive and our level of commitment to Christ and His kingdom. I'm I'm not suggesting that there's never a right place to do this, but let's be careful. Let's evaluate our lives. Always keep in view that this is Christ's kingdom. It is His church. It is not Dave Stolzfus' church. It's not Glenn's church. It's not your pastor's church. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's God's work. It's God's church. Our primary obligation in life is to bring honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. Let's strive to do that as we work together why is church important i'd like to give a little illustration a little story why is church important a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly stopped going after a few weeks the preacher decided to visit him it was a chilly evening the preacher found that the man the preacher found the man at home alone sitting before a blazing fire. Guessing the reason for the preacher's visit, the man welcomed him, led him into a comfortable chair near the fireplace, and waited. The preacher made himself at home, but said nothing. In the grave silence, he contemplated the dance of the flames around the burning logs, and after some minutes the preacher took the fire tongs and carefully picked up a bright burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth all alone and then he sat back in his chair still silent the host watched and all this the host watched all this in quiet contemplation as the one lone ember flame flickered and diminished There was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead. Not a word had been spoken since the initial meeting. The preacher glanced at his watch and realized it was time to leave. He slowly stood up, picked up the cold, dead ember, and placed it back in the middle of the fire. Immediately it began to glow once more with the light and the warmth of the burning coals around it. As the preacher reached the door to leave, his host said with a tear running down his cheek, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for the fiery sermon. I shall be back the next Sunday. In reality, in the Christian life, I really, really believe that's what can easily happen. Commitment, commitment to the church, commitment to each other. Don't try to do life by yourself. Most likely, you will find yourself in the same place that this burning ember. If you place yourself outside of surrounding yourself with God's people, most likely you will become cold and dead. God has not intended us to be that way. We need each other to keep our spiritual fires burning. We need each other to provoke to love and good works. We need each other to draw nearer to God. We need each other to hold fast our profession without wavering. We need each other to gather together to encourage, to exhort, because the end comes is drawing nigh. Christ is coming. Christ is coming for his church. Christ is coming for his kingdom to gather us together. In summary and closing, God needs committed people to build a culture of commitment in the midst of a world of selfishness and little commitment. Building a church culture of commitment means seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness. God deeply cares about what's in our hearts. It means self-denial and sacrifice. The chicken and pig illustration. We commit even when it hurts. The chicken gave what was convenient for him to give. The pig gave his life to serve his master. When we devote ourselves to the things that matter, Though difficult, and through difficult seasons or situations, we reflect the beauty of God's commitment to us and God's command for his people to show the world what brotherly love looks like. The Bible says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Friends, this afternoon we will give the world a taste of the grace of God, when we commit to loving each other. Galatians 6, verse 9, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. God bless you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.